Uh, if you have your Bible today, I'm going to turn, I want you to turn to one passage. You can go to the Bible app and uh, there, the live event is there. Um, you know, uh, there's a, um, a scripture in Isaiah 64. I'm not, you go to Acts 2. I'm going to just kind of share with you some thoughts about what God is doing right now. Isaiah 64 says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. And Isaiah begins to say, Hey, and when you did it, it was like fire on the brushwood. It burned away what was unnecessary. It caused water to boil. There were all kinds of things that got activated when you came down. Right now, as a nation... And I believe, as the body of Christ, we are experiencing an Isaiah 64 moment. Where the Spirit of God is beginning to move once more in revival, in awakening. Perhaps uh, terms that you wouldn't normally use every day. Today marks day 11 of night and day worship on the Asbury campus. I love what God is doing there. How a a sudden move of God was birthed out of one young man getting real and transparent. Confessing his sins on a stage in a chapel. And in that moment, God became more real to the people in that place. And and suddenly, students begin to flood the chapel. And they never left. And still haven't. With all the accusations that are made against this generation right now, they are this and they are that. Here's what I see. I see a hunger in a young generation for the genuine thing, the real Jesus. Don't just give me religious Jesus. I want a real move of God. I want a real experience with Him. I want His Holy Spirit moving in my life. Now, by the way, we, we're, we're, we're not going to turn a blind eye to what God is doing. And by the way, Asbury is just the tip of the spear. Oh, if you could have seen what I saw from some of my, my brothers in, in the Philippines. I, I, I really don't even crave international travel, but just this one time, I wish I had gone to the beach in the Philippines. I wish I had been there lathered up in sunscreen SPF 50 when something like three to 5,000 people on the beach this weekend are giving their lives to Christ and taking over what is normally just the place to go and chill. Do you understand? I love it when Suddenly, the hallways that had grown 
quiet with the sound of revival in Pensacola have been awakened again in Brownsville Assembly of God. And they said, we can't ignore this presence. They kicked open the door and 2,500 people flooded their church unlike they have seen since the days of the Brownsville outpouring and revival. By the way, these stories, I could spend this entire service talking to you about things that are happening nationally on, on countless campuses. But can I just start today by just talking a little bit about what's been going on here. With these rumblings of revival, suddenly I, I just begin to just begin to pray and the Lord begin to speak to me on Tuesday very in a, in a, in a very strong way about handling revival and handling a, a move of God with great humility. If you go back and you watch our daily prayer time, we experienced a, a holy presence of God that said to us, and I, I just believe this with all of my heart, we were undone in the presence of God and with Him saying, let your humility and, and let your gentleness uh, reign. Let, uh, bear with one another in love. You have to handle a move of God like you have no idea what's going on. You say, wait, wait, why do you say it that way? Because the Lord, before that prayer set, he said, do you know what happens when people think they know how to handle what's going on? He said, pride comes. Proverbs tells us that knowledge puffs up. It doesn't say that it's bad knowledge. It just says knowledge and its influence on us tends to bring us into a place of pride. So all knowledge needs the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life, humbling us, saying, Dear God, teach us how to handle your presence rightly. Teach us as a people how to respond rightly. And as we were crying that, uh, as I felt like, God, you're bringing us a special move of God, I did not know what was happening on a local campus. I sat with a man who is my dear friend and been our partner in the gospel in this region for over 20 years. He's not even from this stream. He likes to check in on this stream every once in a while. He's a dear friend. But he says, Otis, he goes, why Tuesday morning? Did we have 212 students just show up at our Christian gathering? Why? He goes, why? I went to our, he goes, I went to our, 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 our overseer of the club and I said, what's going on? Are you advertising? Are you passing out stuff? She goes, no, I haven't even been putting this on the daily show. And he said, Otis, tell me why, why do we, are we seeing this? I said, this is what God said would happen in the last day. 
This is what he said would happen. This is that, that there would be a move of God's spirit on the earth that's beyond man's control, that's be, uh, that, that supersedes our programming. It, it goes beyond. And then Wednesday came in our daily prayer, and we always pray for the sick on Wednesday. We have a healing service here every Wednesday morning where we pray for people online. People send in their requests online. We do it live. And we've had remarkable miracles. I just told a story recently of, of, of a woman who had stage four cancer. They said, this is terminal. Wrap it up. And then there is Yahweh, our physician, God, our healer, that she got the PET scan back. She went and got the PET scan, and all suddenly, all the cancer that was throughout her body is gone. It's not in those locations. They said, we just seem to have found just two small spots on your liver, but it's like even those are shrinking. You are no longer terminal. I, 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 I could go on with the testimonies of dear saints connected to this body who have been under the weight of, of death sentences. Things that nobody gets better from. COPD. You don't get better from that. You just try to manage it all the way to the grave. And after this woman has suffered three years of going through the pandemic and, and, and the deep things that she had faced and how, how it had deeply affected fellowship and how it deeply affected even family interaction because the doctors were saying, if you hang out with anyone, you are going to die. But oh, this week... <laughs> She said, test me again. Test me again. And they tested her and they said, we can't believe this. You must have been misdiagnosed. What else can they say? <laughs> it must have been a misdiagnosis. All you have is poorly diagnosed asthma. Oh, by the way, that'll, that'll be healed with this prescription. And as we were praying and those praise reports were coming in, God's presence came so strong over me. I don't know what to say to you. If you've never had this kind of experience, I just want to invite you in to positioning yourself before God. You can't manufacture it. It's got to be Him. But I wondered to myself on Wednesday morning, can I even pray through these prayer requests? And those who are in the room could testify to the special nature in which the presence of God began to move in this room. It was so profound. My, sh my, my phone is always on do not disturb because I'll be getting text messages from every source under the sun. And I, in that moment, I begin to, begin to think to myself, oh, we have to call a we have to call a special meeting. This, this, can't, this can't be just business as usual. There are these testimonies and God's moving and God's presence. And I, you know, maybe even uh, if, if I were to confess before you, there would be a little bit of a, of a, of a selfish addiction that, that manifested, meaning like, I want to come back. 
because of how God is touching me and changing me and working in me. And I'm like, okay. And then when I launched my phone, there were others who were saying, I I just really feel like we should call some people in and just see who could come on Wednesday night. And we had a glorious time in God's presence. People were getting set free in their living rooms as they tuned in. That Wednesday morning as we were praying, our dear friend named Sarah, she was bringing her her son back from speech therapy that morning. And, And God blessed them because of just all that they have have gone through as they have prayerfully and devotionally lifted up to the Lord their kids who have suffered with some, some, some health issues, more than just health issues, terrible diagnosis. And then coming back from speech therapy, she says she turned the corner right here, 486 in Croft, and suddenly, Wednesday morning, about that same time, God's presence flooded her minivan. <laughs> and she's like, oh, this is great. I get to have some God time in the car. And then she says, as I got close to the church, it was like I hit a wall. And a wall of God's presence. And she could see the cars that were still here that Wednesday. I believe I left this room about just a few minutes before 12 to sit in an appointment that I had made earlier, literally shaking on the inside, aware that God was doing something unique, expressive, powerful, and transformative. I begin to ask the Lord, I say, Lord, As a person who witnessed a city be changed in 1993 in Lakeland. Who's heard stories of revival and I'm a bit of a revival junkie. But Lord, I begin to just ask the Lord, God. What do you want me to say? What would you have me to share in this moment? That honors you and prepares us for what you're doing in the earth. I just want to take you back to Acts 2 and share with you a message called outpouring and assignment. I don't want to, I don't want to spend a lot of time offering the depths of the theological insights more today. It's more like a prophetic revelation of what we are experiencing not only as a body of Christ here, it's what I believe God is doing in a major way in our nation and internationally. So let's just read Acts 2 together, and we're going to talk a little bit about what happens when God begins to pour out His Spirit. Acts 2 verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
And there dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, Look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthenians, Medes, and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? Others mocking said they are full of new wine. But Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And it has come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants, I will pour out of my spirit in those days. And they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven, uh, heaven above and signs in the earth beneath. Blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I don't know about you, but I am grateful for the birthday of the church. This is the day the church was birthed. It was birthed by the spirit of the living God. But I, I, I want you to, uh, to understand that, that this outpouring in order to, to genuinely understand this day of Pentecost outpouring. And I believe if we're going to understand the outpouring of our day in this place and in others, we're going to have to understand that before this glorious moment, things weren't so glorious. Let me just give you this as a precursor. Outpourings, the first thing you need to know, before these supernatural moments of heaven's intervention, they're always preceded with a season. Do you remember the season right before this outpouring? It's supposed to be the most glorious ever. Jesus has died on the cross paying for the sins of all men. But what was really going on? When Jesus was on the cross, there was only a handful that stayed. Everybody had, had rejected Jesus and had gone away from Him. They were running away, hiding. The most powerful, redemptive work in all of human history. Jesus the Son of God pours in to these disciples and the only one who remains is John and his mom and perhaps a couple other women 
Every other disciple scattered. Those who ate the supernatural bread at the feeding of the 5,000 had gone back to feasting on what they could produce with their own hands. It was in this moment that Jesus would release that cry to Telestai. It is finished. Meaning paid in full. But it was a lonely moment. It wasn't just a lonely moment. It was a dark moment. Remember the sun became dark when he lifted up his voice with a loud cry and gave up his spirit saying, into your hands I commit my spirit. Released a cry and slipped from his earthly body. He would be taken down by Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea, and carried to the borrowed tomb. Matter of fact, Three days later, we know the story. How glorious. He gets up out of the grave. Mary Magdalene makes her way down there and she encounters this truth that he is no longer in the grave. She's the first. Where were they? They were scattered. And I want to make a bold statement which means, which, which needs a little explanation. The resurrection of Jesus and the 40 days that followed the resurrection. Those who believed in him had very little influence. They didn't even really have very good direction. Even after Jesus appears to them. One moment he walks through a wall and says, Hey guys, all of you put your hands here and touch me. This is me. Thomas wasn't in that meeting. He has to come again to Thomas and say, Listen, here, put your hand here. And Thomas then declares, My Lord and my God. But we find out that just a few days later, seven Of the remaining 11, what do they do? I'm going back to what I did in a job before. They've already seen the resurrected Christ and they're just going fishing. They're going fishing. You see, this, this was a season of testing. And in this season of testing, the goodness of God comes in Christ. And I'll read this to you from the the, the Amplified. Jesus comes to them and he opens their minds to understand the scripture. It says he opened their minds to help them understand the scripture. So it's written that the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed, would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and that repentance necessary for forgiveness of sin would be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you're witnesses of these things. He said, listen carefully. I'm sending the promise of my Father, the Holy Spirit, upon you. But you are to remain in the city of Jerusalem until you're clothed, fully equipped With power from on high. You see, from that moment, from that announcement, there were still 10 more days. 
He makes this announcement, and then Jesus ascends into heaven 10 days. Now, 10 in the scriptures, and I won't spend a lot of time on this this morning, 10 is the number of testing in scripture. Jacob's wages, 10 times they were changed. 10 commandments. Why? Those commandments test our heart. The tithe is a test. The 10 stands for testing. All throughout the scripture. And now they're left for 10 days. And what are they going to do? The scripture says that in these 40 days, Jesus appeared in his resurrected body to over 500. But on the day of Pentecost, we find 120. Where were the 380? Where were the 380? Here's the issue. Here's the issue. And I believe this is what God is saying to us. They got weary in the testing. They got weary in the testing. How many of you would say that maybe in the last three years, there's been some weariness come upon the body of Christ? More fear than ever before. I don't know if you're like me, but I've buried more people than I, 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 I've ever imagined. I sat with a friend in ministry, and he said this to me. He says, I can't believe how many people we said farewell to in the last three years. I said, the terrible thing is, is that at one point I felt like I was getting good at funerals. And I believe the whole world has been under a test. And here's the temptation. I believe even most of the church is doing this. 380. Where did they run to? Where were they on the day of Pentecost? A land called normal. Peter showed us where they would all go back. Those seven disciples showed us where most would go. They're just going back to a land called normal. Great, he's raised. I'm going back to normal. I'm going back to that place called normal. Where, where I can control things. Where, 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 where I'm in control. Where, where I have a little bit of expertise and understanding. And yet Jesus in his goodness comes and finds Peter in that land called normal. And he says, do you love me? He says, you know I love you. Then he says, feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Christ. And three times to Christ's face, he says, I love you. I love you. I love you. I'll do what you called me to do. I believe that in a season of testing, especially the testing that has come upon this whole earth with pandemics and all the rest, I believe that the test has been about where am I going to be when the outpouring arrives? You see, I love what, what the 120 did. You know what the 120 did for 10 days? Read Acts 1. Here's what you find. The 120 ran back to the deepest place of intimacy with Jesus that they ever had. Where was that? The upper room. See, we know about the upper room of Acts 2, but we don't know that the upper room of Acts 2 was also the upper room of the Last Supper. 
that place where Jesus said, hey, I've longed to have this kind of intimacy with you. I've longed to have this kind of nearness with you. I've longed to, to bring you in and, and explain to you the benefits of coming into this new and precious covenant that I have where my body is, is bread and my blood is the wine given for the forgiveness of sin. I have longed to bring you into this moment. And those people in a time of testing, what did they do? They ran back to that place of intimacy. Here's what you do, church. If you still feel like you're in a season of testing, don't run away from the body of Christ. It's time to run back into the house of God. You run into the house of God. You abandon normal. You abandon those things which you have, you have been welcoming just to kind of soothe you and cope you. Cope you. Ten days! They went back and went back and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and said, God, you said you would pour out your spirit. In a season of testing, don't run into isolation, run into the family of God and commit to, listen to this, corporate intimacy. This isn't talking about your prayer closet. You ought to have your prayer closet. But do you have a corporate intimacy? Do you have some people who say, Oh, do you remember what happened in this room? Oh, do you remember the change God wrought? You ought to get so involved with a, with a church and a body in your life. So if you ever start to forget, they're there to remind you. Oh, do you remember what God did in your life in this place? And in a season of testing, you run into the family of God, not away. You run into fellowship, not into isolation. And you, you commit to corporate intimacy with Jesus until the breakthrough comes in the community. I would like to say that the, the day of Pentecost was not about personal revival. It included it. It just wasn't the emphasis. This outpouring coming out of a season of testing was all about God doing something first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, and then the uttermost parts of the world. And God says, listen, if you will commit to corporate intimacy, you will experience the life changing encounter of the Holy Spirit with brothers and sisters who collectively carry something in the last hour. So outpourings are always preceded by a season. If you have wondered what the fight has been all about, this is it. It's to keep you out of fellowship. It's to keep you in isolation. It's to keep you wandering and vulnerable to the devil. But I believe God starts to move by His Spirit and suddenly there's a unity that is released you could never even produce with your programs. There's a oneness that's produced by the Spirit of God that you, you, you could do your best. You do all that you can. But God unites you. Let me just talk to you about outpourings, what they're marked by. They're preceded by a season, but they're marked with a sound. They're marked with a sound in Acts 2, 2. It says, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
Have you ever had something, have you ever experienced something? Perhaps it was a spiritual experience. But you're trying to describe it to someone else who's never had that experience. And you're trying to find the words. Like, you look at them and you say, I could say this in tongues, but neither one of us would understand what we're saying. Uh, it's hard for me to express what that experience, it's like lightning, but it wasn't lightning. It was like water, but it wasn't water. Listen, Acts 2, we have thought that suddenly God turned on a hurricane in the upper room. That's just not what the Bible says. It says that when he came, he came with the sound of a rushing mighty wind. It doesn't say he came as a, a rushing mighty wind. It came with a sound. That's why Luke in all of his, his intellectual prowess and his commitment to laying things in order is saying these words like, it was like. It wasn't, but it was like that. And I'm going to tell you, you know, there's a reason why he said it was like a wind. I believe we begin to understand it more clearly when Peter starts to give an explanation of why uh, uh, outpourings are marked with a sound. He says, he says, it shall come to pass in the last days that I'll, uh, that I'll pour out my spirit and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Yes, they're going to have visions, dream dreams, but he said this, this one, it's emphasized twice in the passage, says they're going to prophesy. Let me give you the, the grand revelation of this whole thing. The word in Greek for wind is the same as spirit, and it's the same as breath. So what he is saying is that when God came and moved on us, it came with a sound. There was a sound connected to the wind. And let me just say it to you in a plain kind of revelatory way. I believe in the church of the last day, God is putting a sound on the words of your proclamation of Jesus. That it's like regular words, but suddenly they penetrate the darkest heart. They break up the fallow ground. When you speak the name of Jesus, demons bow. When you proclaim the name of Jesus, people are healed. I am telling you that God in this last hour says, I'm pouring out my spirit because I want to put a sound on your voice. It doesn't sound like you. It sounds like God. It sounds like that wind. It sounds like there's something. On a, it's like that, but, but how do I explain it? It's the voice of God on redeemed flesh. Partnering with God. To see his kingdom come and his will be done. Outpouring are also, listen carefully, they're marked by signs. And by the way, these are not the kind of signs that you just typically read them and go, 
oh, wow, I'm really encouraged. I just felt like I listened to 12 hours of Joel Osteen sermons. <sighs> no, outpourings, listen, are marked by signs, and this is what he says. He says, uh, I'll show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming and great, uh, the great awesome day of the Lord. Listen, you know what we've used that for? To grow our eschatological influence over people. When you read these, typically... The human response is fear. Sun, darkness, moon, blood. Somebody comes out with a book. The blood moons. Da, 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 da. You, think, you think God just puts within the scripture horror stories? Because he wants his kids cowering in fear? Burying themselves in their caves in the last day, heaping up MREs and 223 ammo? <laughs> no, no. He gives us signs because he is telling us that even if the sun goes dark and the moon to blood, the church will advance. This is the atmosphere where Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. As we mourn with those who've experienced one of the greatest earthquakes in history, we're not backing up from earthquakes. We're running to them with relief and answers and the gospel. Listen, don't run from the signs of the times. No, you were anointed for this moment. And that an outpouring of God happens in the midst of times where nations are fraying and people are falling apart and people have no idea what is even truth. That's the atmosphere of outpouring. And I love this. Outpourings, listen, they're marked by salvation. Any other outpouring, I'm just not sure that that's an outpouring. Acts 2, 21 says this. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. When Peter stood up that day of Pentecost and announced to them, you killed the Lord of glory, but God raised him from the dead. And if you'll place faith in him, you'll be saved too. This is what happened to a man who ran from God just days ahead. Days before. He's in the worst testing season of his life. Days before. But because he positioned himself with the family of God in an outpouring of God, now God is using him to bring in thousands. And notice the response to the sound on his voice. It says, now when they heard it, they were cut to heart and said, Peter, and to the rest of the apostles, men, and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That day 3,000 were added to the kingdom. I wonder, do we know 
that an outpouring is necessary for our assignment. In order for us to live in that assignment that we talked about last week of going into all the world and making disciples, this is what we must have. An outpouring that leads to a personal knowledge of Christ that leads to a proclamation.